Hello, listeners. Dennis Scully here. I hope the new year is off to a great start. Just a quick note to let you know this week we're sharing one of our favorite episodes from the archive. My conversation with the effervescent Alexa Hampton. Next week, we'll be back on schedule with all new episodes, so stay tuned. All right, let's get on with the show. This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking with leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is interior designer Alexa Hampton. Alexa is, by any definition, a lifer in the trade. Daughter of celebrated designer Mark Hampton, she grew up in the business and took over her father's firm at the age of 27 after his untimely passing in 1998. Since then, Alexa has never slowed down, earning endless plaudits for her work, appearing regularly on industry best of lists, authoring books and columns, and designing products for everyone from Kravit to Theodore Alexander to the Shade Store. I spoke with Alexa about why interior design is like a language, why her ideal firm size is 11 employees, and why designers need to play an active role in shaping the way the Internet revolutionizes the industry. This podcast is sponsored by Laloy. Since 2004, Laloy has pushed the rug industry forward, from innovations in materials like their trademarked cloud pile fabrication to cutting-edge design from a wide range of collaborators. Some of Laloy's eight partners include interior designer Amber Lewis, the beloved lifestyle brand Rifle Paper Company, and the design duo Carrier & Company. Plus, an exciting new partner is coming this spring. Visit LaloyRugs.com, that's L-O-L-O-I, rugs.com to see them all. And make sure to follow at Laloy Rugs on Instagram and TikTok. And now, on with the show. Where I want to begin, actually, uh, is for the few people in, the, in our audience who are not going to immediately know who Alexa Hampton is. <laughs> <laughs> right? There'll be some, right, that will not... That'll be the horror, uh, the baptism by fire. <laughs> They're they're going to discover, they're going to have the pleasure of discovering you for the very first time. And I feel that we owe it to them to tell your your story. So where should we begin? So I am the daughter of one of the greatest decorators that ever lived. And at his horribly untimely death in 1998, uh, when he had just turned 58, he died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I was already working for him. And then, you know, just as a response to not having had that conversation about what are we going to do, we just kept going. And here we are. Was that always the thinking? Well, oh, I was always the thinking that I was going to be a decorator. But, you know, as long as my father was going to be alive, he was going to mm. be my boss. And for the past 24 years, I have been running the company. And so the company is still called Mark Hampton LLC. Yes. And I've had people say, why do you keep the, why do you keep the name? And I'm like, well, first of all, would you rename Gucci... Norman, no. And it is my great honor to keep it in his name. And then for other things that I do, and I do do other things like product or media stuff, then that is under my name, Alexa Hampton, Inc. So that's how I divvy it up in my head. But I am concerned with all things related to decorating design, the home. And I'm grateful for it. You often refer to how grateful you are for having grown up in the way that you mm -hmm. did and, and, and all that your father shared with you and, and taught you over the years. And even if it was sometimes you and sister begrudgingly going to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to historic homes yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, or faraway places. I mean, tell me about, about that. Williamsburg being really the memorable <laughs> Colonial Williamsburg was sort of scarringly terrible. I know everybody loves it. I hate it. The whole, 
<laughs> churning butter thing really makes me sad. That was but, too much for you. <laughs> but, and I, I, we were really young. I must've been 13. And my sister and I ended up somehow finding a movie theater and we're able to sneak off and see this movie, Summer Lovers, with Daryl Hannah and Peter Gallagher and somebody else. And there was nudity and grease. And we're like, okay, well, this kind of makes up for the whole churn. This kind of balances yeah, out. Yeah, like the, the, the scratchy plaid skirt and the knee socks. Yeah. Like, okay, I can get behind this. No, I'm I'm very grateful to have, uh, there's another way I refer to it is as having learned a second language. So I'm mm. married to somebody who speaks a bunch of languages. And I, it bums me out that I don't speak a million languages, but I feel like there is this language that I speak as a consequence of hearing it, as you're told to do with kids, hearing that other language spoken all the time in my presence, I picked it up. And now my children are to an extent getting that second language and even my husband. So my husband grew up in a very politics-oriented family. Mm. And his father was a civil servant, a, a Greek civil servant, and had various postings places. And it is so, you know, we met, I've now spent a little over half my life with my husband. And he has all this information that I don't have and that I'm interested in getting. And then I have all this information that he didn't have and was interested in getting. So it makes for wonderful correspondence. You know, we each have our strength and we get to share them with each other. And how is your Greek coming along? That is not what I was referring to. <laughs> nope. I'm a romance language kind of gal. My French is okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Greek, okay. no. No. But the kids, they tell me read and write in Greek. Mm. We'll see. Okay. But you, I mean, and and you wrote a book with the language of interior design. as Yes. A I, I love the metaphor because it is a language. It's got structure. It has declensions. It has all of these means by which to communicate. And the more you can identify those means and the more you can speak it, hmm. I think it, it's a legitimizing force. It is also uh, meaningful for the people you might be working with to, to hear the whys of things or the when, how, what, tell me the story, give me the, the information behind it. Um, it becomes much more rich and interesting. And uh, so the, the conceit of that first book was, it was the Julie Andrews approach to decorating, which was once you know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything. So you learn the rules and or the language, and then you can, you can scat, you can rap, you can sing, you can do whatever, <laughs> slam poetry, but you have then the language with which to play. You, as you were saying earlier, you were very young when your father. Once upon a time, I was really young. Now I'm not. You still, you still are, but you were, you were far younger uh -oh. when, when you. <laughs> as Dennis you... <laughs> navigates the minefield that is discussing a woman's age. I can't wait to hear what's coming next. Have I told you how fantastic you Ooh, look, by the way? The time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let me just Work it compliment in. everything about you. Mm. I'm curious. You are curious. I'm curious about so many things. So, so I'm, many things. Such a curious I'm gentleman. so, so glad to be able to <laughs> finally ask you all these questions that you and I never get a chance to get into in our terribly meaningful conversations that we have on any range of topics. <laughs> Daily. <laughs> Daily. But it seems daunting at the age of 27, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. And so here was your father, this world-renowned interior designer and, who had worked- And let me say, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> father's daughter that I am, he was world-renowned in a time in which it wasn't that easy to be world-renowned. You know, there was no tweeting his importance. He really was- out there. How many Instagram followers did he have at the <laughs> time? Were there? He never had a cell phone. <laughs> How's that for dating the, yeah. the period? Yeah, he never had a cell phone. So he had a car phone that was the size of a toaster. <laughs> it was like a little radioactive brick in our Cadillac. And would he often be on the car phone? Oh, would God, the... yes. 
would the bushes be calling on the car phone or who was calling him on the car phone? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. by the way, this is so off topic, but I mean, you in for a penny, in for a pound, right? You know to whom you were speaking. So one of the funniest stories in my father's office, so there are like 20 of us and we'd all be in his room having a meeting. And there was a new receptionist. And I mean, it, could, it was wildly apparent that she wasn't going to last long. Um, in this office where, you know, we weren't, we ladies weren't allowed to wear pants. You could smoke, but you couldn't chew gum. Um, Mm. so bizarre. (laughs) Anyway, so this, this young woman comes to the doorway while we're having this meeting and she just stays there holding one of those pink telephone slips and my father's talking and talking and talking. And finally he says, you know, What? I, what is it? You're just standing there. And she hands him the pink telephone slip. And it says, you know how you fill in the prompts? And it says, right. Mr. President of <laughs> America. <laughs> and he's like, you've been standing there? And the, I mean, obviously it wasn't the president. It was somebody calling on his behalf. But I mean, it's like I saw the gray hairs emerge, <laughs> newly formed from his scalp. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it could have been the president on his radioactive brick. <laughs> the president of, of America. Of America. <laughs> yeah. So, so a great. pretty big deal. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, she going to make it through the day? <laughs> yeah, she was let go later that afternoon. That's and uh, we, we miss her still. We miss her still. It's a good story. That that is a good story, and I'm sure I'm sure you have so many so many fun stories. But I really do wonder for you, and I want you to tell us what how hard. Yeah, well, for for 27 year old Alexa Hampton stepping into this role at a time. Oh God, I was it was terrible. For the first year, I couldn't tell you what happened because I was so. I mean, I could probably burst into tears just talking about it. Even still, I was yeah. so grief struck and so sad, and so stressed out but it was probably a saving grace that i had to go somewhere with his name on the door and i have told a lot of my friends you know whenever somebody tries to sympathize and and i feel unworthy of their sympathy on the score i Mm. remind them how lucky i am to work in a field where there is so much love for my father so can you imagine your parent dying and you're working in a in a space as they call it these days where everyone's mm. like, oh, your father was the greatest. I mean, so that was yeah. an enormous comfort. And obviously the clients for whom we were working, many of them were just as amazing as you can imagine. And I think ultimately the fact that we were able to keep going until things you know, got moving was really a testament to the goodwill and love for my father. And while people were, were kind, did people question the legitimacy yes, yes, of, yes, of as you? Yes, as well they should. And how did you tackle that? You know, I was dancing as fast as I can. I was terrified. However, I did know that it was a story. Hmm. You know, how is this going to happen? Is this going to work? And I understood that. And I thought, okay, well, this is a story. Play ball. Have something to say. Speak to people when they when they ask you to participate. And you learned to do that. Oh, yeah. My father had told me ages before he had said, um, you know, you have to keep in mind, and I tell young designers this, that the entities, whether it's magazine or now blog posts or whatever, they need content. They very much need content and be helpful. Provide content if you can. If you can't, give them a good lead, connect them with somebody who can help them, you know, be helpful and be in it. And only good can come of that. It sounds as if you had to figure out who you were as a leader of a firm as well. I don't know. That's how I was thinking about it. You know, there were funny moments where somebody older and more senior than me in the firm said, you know, what's going on? Am I working for you now? Mm. And I was like, oh, could be. Just, just <laughs> like, it might be. How's that feel for you? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, this is, this is weird. So I wasn't thinking like I'm a leader. I was just thinking, try and keep, keep it going as long as you can. And I ask that in part because at some point it is your design firm. And at some Mm -hmm. point it is you making 
the financial decisions about how we're going to charge clients sure. and, right and 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 all of that and you and I were having a conversation just recently about sort of you maybe ro rolling back mm -hmm. some of the the structure yeah. right i mean there was a lot of structure that existed that i don't even think i questioned because if you have not started a company you know envelopes appear paper clips appear <laughs> you know you don't you know there's some nitty gritty silly details but essential details that you don't even think about if it's already up and running but I, I knew i was going to keep decorating one way or the other i had actually gotten to a fight with my father maybe the year before maybe two years before i don't know he he was you know you can imagine when you're somebody's child at the office and they're in an annoyed mood they mm. feel much more comfortable being annoyed with you than perhaps somebody <laughs> than not some of the others. To them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um and he had really made me angry one day and I just walked out. And I David Kleinberg was just opening his office and I called him and I said, I, I've heard you're looking for somebody and I'd love to interview. And he said, Well, I will offer you the job. And he's like, but you have to make it okay with your father. And then my father took me out to El Rio Grande and plied me with margaritas. And then all was right with the world later. Um, and somebody else from the office ended up taking that job. But um, I was like, wow, David Kleinberg pays so much better than you do. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, well, David Kleinberg's not paying your Amex bills. And I was like, ah, yes, this is true. So dad talked you into staying. Yes. And Markham Roberts, who worked at the office at the time, we were joking that it was like, you know, an officer and a gentleman, which is being carried out and throws <laughs> off her newsboy cap, freedom to the applauding factory That's... workers. <laughs> Did you really think that that was going to happen? Did you really think you were going to go and work for David Kleinberg? I, That's... I don't know, but... <laughs> I, the, the whole thing is fascinating. I'm, I'm going to move on because I want to talk about today because there's a lot of opinions from you I, I want to I want to hear. I want to yeah. sort of get your take on so many of the issues facing the, the industry these days. So your, your dad had 20 people. How many people do you have working for you these days? What's the scale of your firm now? Well, 11 is pretty much my happy place. Okay. He had a whole drafting team. I have a magnificent draftswoman. Obviously, the more you take on, if you're the principal in the version that I have learned, the more you have to take on. There's only so mm. much. I, don't, I mean, my father was the most productive person on earth. He didn't watch TV. I'm committed to hours of it daily. Um, <laughs> you know, he didn't lollygag around in his bathtub in the morning. And he woke up very early. I mean, he was he was super, super productive. And he could perhaps then take on the jobs, you know, where he could manage them all. Because that's what you have to do. You have to be on every single job. You're, mm. you're on it with another designer, but you are on every single job. So I can do the amount that requires 11 people. And more than that, I don't think I could do it. And I don't think I'd want to do it. I can tell you, actually, I know I don't want to do that. That's <laughs> I'm, think of it. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm a, a busy, I'm a busy person and I travel a lot. And that would, I think, just be a bridge too far. And the world is very different now. Somebody can get you at any time of day. Mm. There's a thing, obviously, with decorating, you know, when you finish a big job, you're like, well, where's the next big job? Mm. And that never goes away, that stress. So you don't want to say no to projects. So I, I hate to say no. But, you know, there are times when you have to remind yourself if you're going to be an effective professional that you you might not have the time to take on something that's offered to you. You might not do a good job at it because you're spread too thin. Well, and so when you think about dividing your time, because you do a lot of, of licensing work, for example, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I wonder how you think about that time and the work that goes into that versus the design work, as you've described your, your day job of yeah. the interior design Decorating. work. Yeah, yeah. I consider the, the licensing and other things as my extracurriculars. And it's very different designing a chair or, you know, saying, I love this chair. I've used it a lot on projects. 
I'm going to enter it into the to the line and then checking out a prototype and sitting in it and then releasing it into the world. You know, once that's done, that's done. And that's a very different process than, I mean, I could have a chair that's in the line for 10 years. I, yeah. I don't have to come up with that new chair every few months. It's not like the fashion world of licensing where you're crushing through the cycles of seasons where it's creativity on tap. I mean, there's yeah. obviously a lot of our creativity is on tap, but the client is this huge resource we draw from to be creative. I don't know how fashion designers can just do it out of nothing for three or four times a year. I have such respect for them and I don't know how they do it. Season after season with the, the rhythm that they do. Yeah, the relentlessness of it. Yeah. And it's not bouncing off of a, of a client. I mean, they know who their clients are, but it's not somebody saying, well, I really want this all to be pink, Valentino. Make mm. it all pink for me, will you? We're taking a quick break from the show to remind you about Laloy. This January, Laloy will bring its newest collections to Las Vegas Market. It's one thing to see a photo of a rug online. It's an entirely different experience to see it and feel it in person. Laloy will also bring its latest one-of-a-kind collections, gorgeous vintage rugs and accessories that have been perfectly distressed with time, sourced from all over the globe. Make an appointment for a walkthrough at Vegas Market at laloyrugs.com slash new. That's L-O-L-O-I rugs.com slash new. And if you can't make it in person, you can sign up for a virtual appointment there too. For an inside look at all things Laloy, follow at Laloy Rugs on Instagram and TikTok. And now, back to the show. Well, so tell me about your clients today. Tell me about the kind of people that you work with. Your father had sort of this illustrious group, as we yeah. were just referring to. Who are the Alexa Hampton clients? So, as you can imagine, a lot of them began as Mark Hampton clients. Hmm. Um, I think many designers would tell you that our big projects, given that that uh, really high high end design, I mean, I do all kinds, but hmm. really fancy decorating requires money. So a lot hmm. of times that means that your clients are older or they're in finance. Um, hmm. you, you're not likely to get a 25 year old in that position. Though I work for, you know, you can become the family decorator for families that you love and you'll do their kids and you'll do their vacation house. And so you have real relationships, which are wonderful and rewarding. And obviously you love the people. So, you know, they're getting younger. They reflect what's going on in the world. So who can afford and who wants the big houses built? But it's also the difference between my father's clients and my clients is the 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 world has changed so much. As I said, he wouldn't let me wear pants to work unless it was an installation day. So it was a much more formal world. People had staffs. It was a different lifestyle. Mm. So I think that's it's a benefit to me as a younger person, not young, but younger, that it's helpful to me that I am of the generation more and more that I work for instead of being younger then. And it mm. is very helpful to be Mark Hampton's daughter because people gave me the benefit of the doubt in terms of what I did or didn't know. And now my age gives me that. Because after, you know, there are people now who have no idea who my father is, which enrages me. Oh my God, the greatest Nothing makes her fly off the handle. Quite like something going, who? I'm like, oh yeah, you're 35. Why on earth would you know who my father was? But, um, but begrudge them I shall. Uh, but now, now I'm an expert. Now I'm of the right age. So mm. there's, there's always, I, I, as you know, I do a, an Instagram that is like a podcast. And yeah. I was speaking to one designer and she said, whatever you do that is not in a linear connection to your 
profession, and she meant as a designer, she said, that's your superpower. So they're all- Do you have a superpower that you want to share with us? Well, no, I mean, mine was just like telegraphing expertise before I had it. And Mm. now it's being comfortable with being of the era and knowing that I have it now. And so you feel that reaching the the still very young age that you have, you feel like <laughs> now, now you have the gravitas that goes along with the fact that your dad was Mark. Yes, because you don't want to presume. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to presume, and um, and then you do, and then you do want to presume, Dennis. <laughs> you want to presume all day. Um, the older you get and the longer you ply your trade, the more comfortable you feel with reminding yourself, like, wait a minute, I am a total expert. That's what I've been doing all day, every right. day, yes. forever. I'm curious about what in your mind has changed the most in terms of how a decorator works, how an interior designer you know, manages things. I mean, I'm ju- I mean, jobs can are always changing in in terms Mm. of scope. So you can be decorating and that's doing curtains and pillows and paint colors. You can be doing interior design work, working with an architect, uh, having opinions about the crown and the casing and where Mm. the doorways are going. So there's already that kind of variety. And then, as I mentioned, our lifestyles are very different now. Um, Mm. people are not, you know, people are not standing on ceremony and whatever vestiges of that we still had COVID killed in terms of, you know, dressing up and I mean, it didn't kill it, but it, it made us more quickly get to some of the conclusions we've gotten to at this point in terms of like, okay, I can wear sweatpants till four and then I'll change into my pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so there's, there's lifestyle changes, obviously the internet, maybe some of those flights you don't have to take because now you can be on a zoom call. These are, these are all things we all, we all know, but the big, big, big shift is that people are much more educated now about what things cost. And Mm. I am not sorry about that. I remember maybe even before first dibs when it was circa, there was a, a marketplace called circa. Sure. And people were starting in in the industry were starting to get concerned about uh, homeowners going on those websites and seeing what things cost. But I I don't think that's a hazard because we also all want to be more transparent anyway. We want to say this is X. We're paying X for it. We are marking it up. Why to sell it to you? And you and I were talking the other day and. Mm. I feel like when my father died, he was uh, commanding whatever he was commanding for his fees. And I immediately dropped the fees because he was not there anymore. So I dropped the fees. I also adjusted, oh gosh, you know, Dennis, he, he would do the whole scheme, the presentations, everything before having a signed contract. He would just do on spec, you mean? All of that shopping we did and all of the furniture plans and all of the tape trim and that first big meeting that we had with the client when they'd fly into New York and we'd be showing them everything, they had not yet inked the contract. You're kidding. No. And so and so he was just he was just assuming that they were. And I guess and I guess it worked, but I I was not aware of that until he died. And I was like, what on God's green what? earth? I was like, well, what? I can't afford to do that. I Talk can't. about a policy we're going to change well, immediately. Like, you know, great. How awesome for him. But I right. can't do that. I can't, you know, we can't be dancing as fast as we can and then just have them walk off. So, and I don't know anybody in this day and age who doesn't have a contract first. So mm. now I will send my boilerplate to a homeowner and we'll talk about details of it. And if there are things that they would like, you know, reframed or if they want to add language. And um, and then we begin. So that was a huge structural change. And um, then, as I said, the markups came down. And then in 2008, after the the crash of of 2008, the financial services crash, everybody seemed to become much more obsessed with the cost of the thing. Mm. 
so whether it was because of both the wild, wild westishness of the post-crash economy, um, that people were just flogging their wares out of there. Is it flogging? Yeah, it's flogging their wares. Are they flog? Why would they flog their wares? Why would they flog their wares? What are Why they would flogging you do them? that? That's so Why? cruel. That's um, horrible. Poor whether, whether you'd be selling them out of a, your storefront or Madison Avenue or Bergdorf's or whether there was some, you know, the internet shopping, I'm sure, contributed to it as well. So it created a perfect storm of wanting to negotiate the price of the thing. So the minute the price of the thing was up for grabs, my response to that was, that's fine. If you want to pay the least amount of money for the the thing, then as mm. long as I can then uh, up my fees so that I am whole, that's fine by me. Mm -hmm. So that was a big shift I saw then. And obviously transparency generally in the early 2000s, showing what our markups were and what defining what retail was and defining what net was in our contracts. Right. And, and so that's a great point. And this this issue of price transparency, people people say transparency and often it can mean different different things. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah. And so there, there's been a lot of talk recently, for example, should should these fabric houses just list their net price since that's since that's really the price they're going to be selling at because they're going to be selling to a designer should they just list that price and let everyone know what that price is well my clients know what that price is because i tell them that i am you know the difference between new york state net and new york state retail is a 50 percent markup or 30 percent off depending on which way you're if you're coming at a total number or the little number so if i'm buying it for 60 i am selling it for 90. And that's what you tell them. Yeah. And how do you describe your your markup, or do you say this is a handling fee, or this is? Just... Oh no, I say that's no. how I make my money. Uh, there, there are two ways I make my money. One is through markups, mm -hmm. and sometimes I philosophically see it in my head as because I don't do hourly billing. I find that so tedious and sad. <laughs> too much to keep track of. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And also yeah, yeah. it's I, embarrassing I how long something can take. I'm not <laughs> I'm not copying to how long it took me to find that trash can. Absolutely not. So I the the fee is to my mind, philosophically, my time. The mm. markups are operating costs and hopefully profit. So you have a design fee and then you're and, marking and a up. schedule of markups. And in my markups, net means what I am billed by the vendor. Right. And then you're charging retail is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, some things, custom things don't have a retail. So those right. that you have to define more specifically. You, I mean, that's I define it all. I, I say how many percentage points I'm marking it up. And for young, you know, it's, it's a quandary for a young designer because they want to be competitive. They need to get work. They need to pay the bills. But at some point, they also need to be encouraged to remember that they have value, not just as a purchaser, but as a as an eye, as a talent. This, you know, we're not purchasing agents, and it's a hard lesson to teach because I appreciate the exigencies of life and that they need to get that work. And if they're if they're not competitive in the beginning, they're not going to be able to get it. So I, I know it's tough. And then you can that can lead to bad habits, like not seeing your value. But that's a very important thing for young designers to learn, that they have value as an artist. Well, and I think that that's a struggle for would-be interior designers, I think is a struggle for would-be lighting designers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was having a conversation with a lighting designer earlier who was talking about this same challenge of we often undervalue ourselves, mm -hmm. particularly at the beginning. Yep. And that kind of goes back to being able to speak to your experthood, you know, I, or my using my background in my head as, no, no, I know what I'm doing. I've seen these places. I've been to these museums. I've seen these paintings. I know what I'm talking about. And then now being able to say, I'm 100 years old. I definitely know what I'm talking about. And reminding myself, no, they sought me out for precisely this reason. Your, your clients want you to tell them what you think. That's why they hired you. But you try to make sure you're symp sympathetic with each other taste-wise. Now, if somebody hires you and they say, I've seen your work and I love it, and then they show you 
what they want for their house. And it makes no sense for you to be involved. You have to, no, you have to be very flattered that they thought, even though your visions for living are totally different that they asked you, but then you have to be, you know, if not just nice for yourself, nice to them. If they really think they want you, but they don't want you, then you have to make sure that you let them know that. Like, actually, you don't want me. I mean, that sounds like a, it's not you, it's me thing, or it's not me, it's you thing. <laughs> no, but no, they, no. I'm not breaking are, up with you. Are, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not good enough for you. There are times when people come to you and they, they maybe, maybe they are just picking you for your name or something. And they, maybe you really shouldn't be working together because you're just not on the same aesthetic track. Yeah. And do, and do you, does that happen to you often or? I, I hope not, but there, there have been times, you know, cause, cause a lot of people who, a lot of people who are, you know, do some modern stuff, do some traditional stuff. We're harder to peg because we do mm. have amorphous boundaries. But if somebody comes to me with a really, really contemporary interior program that they want to do, I will say, I might not be the best person for this. Hmm. I hope I am, but I don't think I am. I'd like to think I was. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you were just saying before about counseling young mm -hmm. up and coming designers, right? About how to think about this. And the and the fee structure is a really important part because it's it's really going to be the foundation of the of the business. And if you've priced yourself too low, in order to be competitive, or if you've done away with those markups and you're not making that money somewhere else. Well, you can't do away with markups. I mean, that's insanity. It's so funny because a, a lovely Southern interior designer came up to me at the Kipps Bay dinner the other night and said, oh, I love your podcast, but I, I'm really uncomfortable with this pricing transparency conversation that you're having a lot recently. And I don't want to talk about my pricing. Well, the, the, the whole talking about money is uncomfortable for, mm. for people in our universe. Yes. It's uncomfortable, but, but must be done. The more you talk about it, the less you will be discomfited. And the more likely that you will find the right place to, to, to go with how to build that foundation for your business, as we were talking about. And, and that's why I wonder what other advice you have like that for designers coming up in the world today. Oh, wow. Don't, don't make it broad or anything. <laughs> well, I just, because I know that you feel strongly that if they can, designers should go work yeah. For somebody else, right? And that's not out of anything other than that's part of the education. The right. practical application, the learning how to speak to clients, learning, you know, learning all the things you can't learn in a classroom. So I I think the classroom is absolutely essential, but it's not complete until a tenure is spent at a design firm. Just as, you know, how do they, how do they take photographs of their thing? How do they meet with photographers? What do they do on social media? How many positions do they fill? How, who buys those paper clips? So that's one thing. Yeah. Um, when you go out on your own, you should save, 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 save as much money as you can. Save. Do not treat a business like a cookie jar. It isn't. Take a variety of jobs, again, if you can. So that means some decorating, some design, some with longer revolutions. You and I have spoken about that before. That yeah. a design job, you're getting most of your billing. You get some billing in the beginning for like a fee payment and stuff. But the product that you sell is mostly at the end. You don't want to order everything too early and have it. Well, sometimes you do, and you just put it in storage, and that's a great luxury. But frequently, people will want it close to the move-in. So that's when you're making more money and you need to be able to subsist in between. And while you have those maybe two, three, four-year jobs, you also, if you have the ability to take smaller jobs, faster jobs, by all means, take them. And perhaps if you get to a point in your life where you can say, I won't work for less than, you know, the, the great Linda Evangelista quote, I won't get up for less than 10,000 a day. If you can afford to do that, that's great. But usually it's hard to know. So hmm. you should feather your nest. You should keep meticulous records. 
mostly the the accounting is the most important piece of that. If ever anybody needs to see your paperwork, you should have it available at hand and nobody should ever be able to catch you doing something bad. Don't ever talk yourself into anything that is not correct. You know, I've heard people be like, well, they owe me that because of this. It's like, mm -mm. no, they don't. Mm -mm. Nope. Do not do that. Do not go down that road. Do not go down that, that road. If you can photograph your work, it's expensive, which sucks. But nowadays we have iPhones. So perhaps you could take, at least you can take better pictures right off the bat. At least they're digital. Hmm. You need to have something to show for new clients. And I would also say if you can afford to decorate your own house and publish that, find out other things that you can do if, you, if you're interested in them as uh, more ways to, you know, I don't know if it's actual diversification, but if you can write a column or, and if you can't write a column for a magazine, write it for a paper, if not the big paper, then the local paper. All of these things help establish you as an expert both in your mind and in the mind of the people reading it. And it also teaches you how to speak that language that we were talking about earlier. You have to be able to sit down and meet with a homeowner and say, I think you should do this and this is why. You can't just be like, you know, I just think it looks great. <laughs> and you may, but you have to get into practice explaining mm. it and speaking it to somebody who is less attached to the field in the guttural way, perhaps that you are. And I say to a lot of design students, you know, go onto Pinterest and find five historic rooms. You know, say it's a Bunny Williams room, say one is Grousset, say one is Bill Blass's living room, you know, five, five rooms. And try not to get the same five rooms that hit the exact same notes. And when mm. you're interviewing, because you have nothing to show that is you know, necessarily, you know, you've got study work that you've done at school, but, you know, it was an assignment. So perhaps your the healthcare facility doesn't express your, <laughs> your aesthetic. But if you can sit down and say to me, I love these, I love this Nancy Lancaster room. I love this color. Let me tell you why I think this room works. And to be able to express to me why you as a burgeoning designer thinks that that is good or important. It shows me what your taste is, and it shows me that you're thinking. Do people do people come and and present themselves to you in a, in a similar fashion? No, do they... not at all. And Dennis, I'm glad you asked this question <laughs> because my colleagues, my colleagues at work, took away hiring from me. I know that you are no longer in charge of yeah, hiring. They were like, it's not enough to ask someone their sign and. To see if you like vibed with them. I'm like, okay, that's fair. So I'm full of good advice, none of which I take. Because I, you know, I like people. I want to like everybody. Yes. I don't want to reject anyone. I can't stand no. that. It's terrible. No, it's terribly awkward. So I always get kicked up the the finalists, and then they're like, do whatever stupid thing you do to make your decisions, you moron. Um but if, if somebody actually could talk, like especially a young person could talk to me about mm. Nancy Lancaster, refer to John Conforth's book, or talk to me about Schinkel, I mean, God, I would just, I'd be putty in their hands. <laughs> It'd hire them a heartbeat. Yeah. And there are enough major rooms out there that to be able to pick one as, as reflective of something that you really admire and describe why would, would be very telling. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I think that's all joking aside. I mean, I think that's often a challenge that I hear today from, from a lot of more established designers is this ability to speak to some of these foundational rooms that, that either were studied or that, that should be part of everyone's sort of vocabulary, or at least they should have a familiarity with some of these spaces and how to speak uh, about what made them work or, yeah. or what the and elements not, are. And not familiarity because they've necessarily been traveling and, you know, going to fabulous far-flung locations and seeing these blah, 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 but because they're curious about their industry and because they've looked into it. Just like, you know, you're interested in Ru Russian literature, you're going to read Dostoevsky and you're going to read Tolstoy and you're going to read Gogol and you're, you're, you're curious. You're going to read a bunch of, you're going to read Solzhenitsyn. You're, yeah. Purportedly, this is your interest in life. Prove it. 
Right. And I, I mean, I think I think Vincent Wolf was saying to me that he he has this vast sort of design library and he always says to his people, like, please take one of these books yeah. home and, and I would love to talk to you about it. I would say sit here and don't move anywhere with that book, but I'd love to talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> you actually can't even leave this room yeah. with that book. But I, yeah. I am looking at you and I see you <laughs> holding that David Adler book. One of the things I wanted to actually learn more about from you, and it ties into e-commerce and it ties into sort of how so much of the business is trying to figure out mm -hmm. e-commerce, remind me about The Mine. Okay. The Mine was a company that was born out of Lowe's. Mm. And it was an attempt to have an e-commerce platform. On this platform, they were going to sell design products mm. to, you know, whomever, but also to have decorator discounts as well. So it wanted to be a bunch of things. And they hired me as their design guru was my preferred title. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, it's got to make a joke. Yeah. I think they're like, she's such a hand sure go for <laughs> do it. they have they have a great sense of humor those lowe's guys they, uh, um well it was, it, up. it was some fabulous women and yeah. they had enough of a sense of humor to hire me and <laughs> um and i it was very exciting and the mm. thing was that lowe's had bought a virtual entity that had a gazillion SKUs, and i think within the first year they or maybe even like the first six months or something, they chopped off a million of them. So the idea was to get tight and right and to make it into, you know, first of all, it changed its name. It was ATG stores. Then it turned into the mine, mm. um, which I may or may not have come up with after some margaritas. Mm. Um, it was really fun. Just <laughs> these women and I trying to figure out, you know, what did we think would be fun? And what is dross on this site that we've got to get rid of? And how are we going to generate beautiful assets? And how do we want to get other designers involved? And what kind of products do we want to show? And so on and so forth. So eventually, and sadly for the mm. mine, right before COVID or enough before COVID, Lowe's reabsorbed it. So anyway, so I believe that Lowe's was an error. I think they should have stuck it out. However, you know, I don't know about the finances that that was were behind that decision. I assume they called for it. But it's still a pity because if they had waited until the pandemic, you know, all these other sites that have that came up after mm. flourished and all, you know, all these new endeavors take a minute. You know, everybody used to be like, "No, no, you can't possibly sell a chair online because you can't sit in it. Nobody's going to do that." Well, guess what? Everybody did that. Everybody bought chairs online and sofas and everything. Yeah. So I think we all have just got to be more open to the fact that we can't just poo-poo whole industries. You know, we can't be like, this internet thing's not going to catch on. <laughs> you know, we don't have to spaz out, but we need to embrace the fact that the world is moving and dip our toe in. And sometimes that's not a good idea. You know, I, I sold did a whole line of stuff for HSN and it didn't take off. And, you know, that's on me. And and did you appear on the home shopping oh, network? Yeah. Did you like, did you go and at and two AM, a... yeah, I Vanna yeah. Whited myself out. <laughs> I had friends calling in. It took like setting their alarms to call in. Oh um in full makeup, like, oh my God, ten pounds of makeup. And then I'd start with the flop sweat. It, and then it turned into broadcast news. And one time I'm like, oh, it's it's Turkish cotton, but with a Greek key. Oh, look, you know, these these historical rivals have come together. I'm like, why am I making European civilization jokes? Like, this is Alexa. So, yeah. Anyway, you have to try things. You have to kiss a couple of frogs. By no means should you try something that's going to tarnish your name and your reputation. But you can try things and, you know, fail at them. You know, failure isn't a great thing. And I, I, I wouldn't say go court failure, but you got to try some stuff. Right. Of, of course you do. And, and, and the Internet, 
has played a huge role, to your point, these the past couple of years. Companies are grateful that had invested wisely in their e-commerce strategy. Before this, Lowe's, for whatever reason, decided that wasn't going to be a meaningful market for them. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure what the decision was, but their strategy was... changed. But I, I was so excited that I had that gig and that I was involved in that. And these, the people who were running the mine were amazing. Hmm. And I got to be a part of big conversations and pitches that I had no business being in and hearing about structure and the challenges of selling online. And it's fascinating. Did it change your thinking about your own licensing deals or how you thought about companies you wanted to work with instead of other companies? Um, it made me think that there needed to be a digital plan wherever mm. I am. It made me also appreciate that the people who do deal with those aspects in various companies you know, have a very different skill set. And as much as I think I know what I'm talking about, you know, I do know this, this, and this, but there's a point where that stops. And those <laughs> people come in and they they have their skill sets and their expertise. And I want to participate in the conversation because I don't want it decided for me. And that's what I would actually say to people when we were pitching the mine. I was like, well, this can either happen to you or this can happen with you. The internet's not going to go away. So you can decide to be a part of the conversation that shapes industry for the next 20 years, or you can just be reactive. Well, and, and who were you saying that to? Who were you saying get, vendors, get on board? Or... Vendors. Okay. So when you look at Theranos, just as an example, mm. you know, there are these big things afoot and you can neither be gullible and just think, oh, smart tech people, they know everything and throw in your lot with them and let them walk away with you nor can you go in the reverse and just stick your head in the sand. Neither of these are viable responses to the changing of industry. So I think that you can understand that you don't know lots of things about a given industry, as I appreciate. I don't know everything about e-commerce, but I am a sentient human being and I do want to be, I want to participate in a conversation and share what I do think, because to some extent I am the customer right? We're all the customers. We're all on Amazon buying whatever. And sure. on top of that, I'm a decorator. So if we're talking about the home goods world, I have things to say. So one of the major concerns with a lot of companies was rightfully was how do we deal with our sales force? You know, here are all of our wonderful reps. And, you know, these are the reps that have enabled me to have my furniture sold and to send my kids to whatever school. I'm like, ah, that's tuition. And those reps need to be protected and cultivated and rewarded. And instead of saying, you know, our reps are going to freak out, this won't work, we're not going to do it. The question, as I saw it, was how do we do this and benefit the reps? Like, how do you geofence it so that when you're selling within a certain area, you know, the rep gets a piece? You know, there, there are answers. There are versions to be toyed with and played with and and researched, and it is incumbent upon us all to do it. We got to figure it out. And we actually, I feel, are at a really lucky moment in time because, you know, when you talk about going into somebody's company, as I did, and having a structure set up, when do you ever get to have a say in the whole structure of an industry? Like, this is it. This is the moment we, you know, we're alive during this moment where the internet is, you know, created and booming. 20 years from now, you're, it's going to be so ossified. I mean, of course, there will be changes in progress, but the structure is being put into place now. And I would like to be part of that conversation. Well, I completely agree. And that's why I feel like as uncomfortable as the pricing transparency conversation is, for example, we need to have that conversation now because the internet is going to just make it happen yeah, one way yeah. or another. And you don't want to you don't want to just deal with the repercussions. You want to direct right. how it goes. You want to say in it, then speak up. Yes. And so let's let's figure this out and let's figure out what this should look like. And as you say, there there are a lot of these businesses that do have a territorial structure. You you, you talk to a lot of these multi-line showrooms. That's a huge challenge for them. And why wouldn't I want the reps? rewarded like absolutely of course. they're my yes. bread and butter exactly like, surely a bunch of us can come up with a smart answer to this 
I agree. I've interviewed vendors who have pulled out of showrooms because they're they're so challenged by the yeah. the regional constrict or the showroom doesn't want them to be in touch with the client or all of that. Totally get it. But I don't think just completely abandoning the structure is necessarily the answer either, because there are incredible multi-line showrooms that you want to be part of at key mm-hmm. markets, yeah. right? That that can usher your product into in front of people in ways that you never could on your on your own. And and so how does how do we think about all of this? And again, knowing that the internet is going to make all of this transparent for us one day, whether we like it or not, it's just all going to be there. And as you were saying earlier, so many of your clients already know how to find this information if they wish. Yeah. And it's not an adversarial relationship. Our clients are not the enemy. They're our clients. We're on team whomever. Right. If you're Mr. Jones and you hire me, I'm now team Jones. I want the Joneses to get great things and I want to help them get it. I just want to make sure Team Hampton gets paid too. And that does not need to be mutually exclusive propositions. But there's also a thing about running a business is if you're an entrepreneur, you want to grow your business, you want it to flourish, or are you just a hiree to guide it for a moment in time? I'm going for the long view. Mm -hmm. So that means maybe branding, maybe press, maybe diversifying product. And they all have to be considered on a regular basis. It's not like you make a decision once and that's the end of it. Companies are living, breathing things. And if you're interested in that thought process, then you need to to do the thinking. That's interesting. How do you, how do you think about Mark Hampton LLC sort of living on and going on? I mean, well, how- I mean, obviously I think it, so one of the actually one another reason why I didn't change the name, besides the fact that why on earth would I change the name, right. um, being the first and foremost reason. But another reason I didn't change the name is it's very hard when the principal has their name on the door because what happens if one day there isn't a principal? Mm. To this day, I get emails like, "Dear Mark, we'd love to show you this catalog," and I'm like, "Oh, Mark died in the last millennium. Please notify your colleagues." Mm. or update your database. If I were to one day decide I want it to continue on without me, there's already not a Mark Hampton. So like a McMillan. Right. I don't know if I want to do that, but it's almost like buying a domain name and just sitting on it and going, I don't know if I want that domain name, but I'm going to hold on to it just in case. So that's one of one of the things. Obviously, Mark Hampton, I hope it's obvious, stands for tried and true, established, cultured, intelligent, not trendy, not silly, though I'm nothing but silly. But, you know, it used to be great when I would go out and do talks when I was a youngin, because people were expecting a total Park Avenue nightmare to arrive and shit all over them. And I'd be like, hey, folks, darn it. You're like, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is not what I saw coming. But it's a privileged place to be with the reputation of somebody who's so magnificent, as my father was, that I can let my hair down Hmm. because I've got all of those signifiers and all of that dense meaning that is associated to those who recall who he was with, with the Mark Hampton name. Yeah. So... I'm also enjoying, say, with the with Gracie, the wallpaper, the wallpaper and more, mm. you know, working with them and they're they're generational. I love working, you know, more and more. Think about how long this career has been a thing. A lot of these brands aren't 400 years old. They're kind of in step with us. So we're all graduating and growing and learning how to live in the modern age. And it's fun to be a part of of that with them as well. Well, so tell me what you're doing with them. Oh, tons of stuff. I've got, Yeah. we have a maps group, which we started off their, their Trompe frames. And Mm. it's like a huge wall of maps, a, a historic map of whatever city you're in the mood for. So for Kips Bay, Dallas, we did a huge map of Paris and you know, maps, I also think, are philosophically appealing to men and women. I mean, I'm about to make a whole bunch of gender generalizations. <laughs> I think maybe I shouldn't. But um, everyone loves maps. That's what I've found in like my studies. And women are like that. <laughs> no, they're just they're the crowd pleasers, Dennis. Mm. 
I've got a bunch of um, historically inspired patterns that are coming out with them. We are playing with digital ideas, which would be, you know, how do you get a piece of Gracie? You know, you yes. absolutely want to have the custom tens of thousand dollar a room um, made just for you paper. But what about that person who really, and there's so many who just love Gracie and just want a little piece of it. You know, how do yes. we, how do we also help them? So we're doing lots of stuff and that's really fun. And it's also super creative and that's the best part of any day is the creative part. And sometimes that means being creative, thinking about e-commerce, and sometimes that means making a really pretty wallpaper. You've talked about all of the all of the many ideas and things that you're working on. I wonder, what are you most excited about right now that you're that you're working on that you're hoping is is going to happen, or that is a project that is that is coming up for you? I have outdoor furniture coming out with Woodard, and I'm extremely excited about that. Jean Liu who is a brilliant designer in Dallas. She's an amazing entrepreneur and I love listening to her and she's so decisive and she has such good ideas. And she's also, um, when she talks about the economics of launches and stuff, I feel like I've got so much to learn from this much younger, fabulous woman. And <laughs> it's a theme. And I'm also working on a book that is very exciting that won't come out for more than a year, but nonetheless, I'm very excited and it is very personal and a lot of stories. What kind of stories? Kind of like funny stories of mine or why yeah. I like certain things or why I, so at this point in my life, in, in my own interiors, mm. I have loosened the reins and I'm just having fun and really appreciating that this house or this apartment I live in is for me and nobody else. Okay. Okay. My husband and kids and the dog, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be for anybody else. It can be a total flight of fantasy. And I'm figuring out how much of fantasy I enjoy in a room. I think as more things you know, this is not a new comment, but as more things become codified, obviously mm. we all know that the details are the big issue, right? How does this English arm sofa in your apartment speak about you to you, not to anyone else? I mean, understood, if you want to see it as an object that people are consuming, I hope you entertain a lot. But otherwise, what does it say to you about who you are? Where do you find the fabulousness in it? What speaks to your particular I'm trying to shy away from saying the word joy because I feel like I'm Marie condoing it. <laughs> but really, like, what do you look at and it enchants you about your dwelling? And it is pulling me into a larger conversation with myself. <laughs> <laughs> In my mind. With my favorite company, myself. <laughs> with my other personality. Petunia, Petunia, what do you think? Well, Petunia, I think we need to redo the living room. There's a whole bunch <laughs> of people in, in that head. So, yeah. no, I'm looking at my my clients and I'm trying to figure out with them how many layers do we need to do? Mm. What is too few? What is just right? What is personal to you? Like, please, let's make it personal. Let's make it, you know, people got cleaner. They threw off the detritus of the 80s and the 90s, the bells and whistles and bows and blah, 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 blah. And they got real sleek. And now obviously it's coming back and some people are maximalist, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about, you know, I, I do have some clients that are mass, maximalist and that's super fun, but that also like, you really have to have a backstory. What are all of those things that are behind why you're doing them? <laughs> because right. you can't just do it with no reason because yeah. that's nonsense. So that baseline of design right now is accruing more detail and more and more. And I'm trying to figure it out with my homeowners. Like what's, what's the perfect amount? Because it's gotten a little too bare. You know, I don't want the bowl with the three balls mm. and the one orchid <laughs> and the modern lamp that goes like this with the orange ball <laughs> and a Parsons table. It's not doing it for me. I need a little more. I need a little yeah. more. And I need to, I know you're like, you're 51 years old. Why is this a new conversation? It's just, it's just the, the, the ebb and flow of design and we're at a new point and I've got to synthesize these things. Well, 
Alexa, I need to get you to your four o'clock. But I would like to thank you, Alexa, for spending this time with, with us in this highly constructive conversation. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's going to end up being a five-minute podcast because there's <laughs> going to be five usable minutes. <laughs> but really, it has just been an absolute delight, Alexa, having you on the show to, today. And we, and, and we thank you for your time. And we, we wish we had more time, but we know you have to rush off. But and... Armageddon is approaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you. Thank you, Dennis Scully. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>